Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, July 5th, 2018, otherwise known as Workaholics Day. So I know normally we do kind of like goofy things, but actually when I read that, I thought, are we workaholics? Like, would you guys consider yourself workaholics? Functional workaholics. <laughs> Highly functioning. I think that term is kind of doesn't apply. I think, I think you're a workaholic when it's at the detriment of other aspects of your life and it's bringing you down. In, in my case, like uh, I find work to be, <laughs> in many cases, uh, the, the thing that sort of strengthens other aspects of my life. Um, when I haven't been as invested in my sort of day-to-day work, uh, I feel like I party more and you know, more focused on sort of social or sort of self-indulgent pursuits. And for me, like sort of uh, when I'm really invested or excited uh, intellectually uh, in my in my work, uh, both in the, the day to day operations, but also into how I'm sort of you know making strategic moves to build the businesses, I find that that often brings out the best in myself. Yeah, I think that uh, I would say that I'm I do work a lot, but I don't feel like I'm addicted to work or I guess workahol as it would be. But if anything, it would just be that. When I feel like when I'm not working towards something or like making progress in some way, then I feel kind of guilty. So I don't know if that would. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of how I think of myself. But You're like, having withdrawals from work. Yes. I'm shaking. I can't stop my hands from shaking. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty similar to you guys. I think like probably most people similar to us just suffer from like overscheduling and overbooking to where if there's other things that come up, then it's like, oh, crap, I can't do this because I have this obligation and, and that that I have to fulfill. Right. Uh, but other than that, like, as long as you enjoy what you do, right. then uh, you're still going to work, but you're going to enjoy it a lot more than if, you, you know, yeah. if you're doing something you hate. If you guys had to guess, how many hours do you think you average per day of work? 10 to 12. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. If I had to guess, I would say, like, yeah, probably about somewhere in that range and, like, but, you know, seven yeah. days a week probably. I think that's the big part, though, is it's seven days a week rather than five. Yeah. But it's all finding your own, it's finding your personal pace that you're not overworking yourself or that you're tired out and right. you just don't enjoy it anymore, but enough to where you get what you want done and you feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Well said, Mike. And it's not all the same kind of work either, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, I'll, I work on weekends, but on weekends, I normally do the work that I enjoy the most. Uh, I'll often do less editing, less sort of emails and stuff like that, and a lot more building. Um, so within that sort of, you know, large amount of hours a week that I work, there's still a huge gradient between enjoyment for some of them. There's there's tasks that I really don't enjoy, and there's some that I think are, are, are awesome. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I think the, you know, keeping myself sort of invested and excited about uh, what I'm doing is largely based on my ability to sort of manage that and not, you know, beat myself down too much and only just do the kind of crappy but necessary work and kind of balance it out and, and mix in some of the fun stuff as well. Yeah, definitely varies. I mean, like if you think about it technically right now we're working, but this would be sort of the equivalent of like the lunch break at a regular job where it's like, oh, you're just like kind of hanging out, talking with people. Right. And it's the, it's the freedom and ability to make decisions that, that are not entirely uh, linear, right? So, you know, if we took this time and instead just, okay, edit one more video, get that out, 
contact another sponsor that would make more money than a podcast does uh, for us, at least at this stage. Mm -hmm. But it also wouldn't be enjoyable and it would also be more susceptible to uh, fatigue and burnout. It's funny, when I went to this YouTube conference thing, they were so talking about burnout. And when you hear the people talk about it, it's because they sort of, they thought they figured out a formula that works for them. And then they're just hammering that format frantically. And they're like, oh, it just seems predictable. And really what they were burned out is that they found one way to be efficient. And then they were overly utilizing that one process to the point where it was becoming uninteresting. And one, I think that's bad from a business standpoint because you're not experimenting, you're not innovating, and you're not you're not taking those wild, meandering goose chases that might result in something else. In the making space, that could be you're not experimenting with different formats or not experimenting with different materials. I was about to say, that's what's interesting about being in the whole maker space is even though, you know, my my videos have definitely changed from when I started making videos a couple of years ago, but all in all, it's been like a pretty fluid change. There's never been this drastic, like, oh, we're switching everything up, new modern builds, everything's changed. Um, but what's awesome about building projects is there's a creative aspect within the video itself. And so we can keep the same general format and still be creative and come up with something new every week. The project is what we are able to really be creative with, which is how it should be because that's what people are interested in when it comes to maker content. They could care less about if you have cool Peter McKinnon shots. They just want to see cool projects, right. <laughs> or at least I do. You can also mix it up where you work, too. I mean, you know, this this uh, spring and up until summer has been really fun because we've been out in a new location in Joshua Tree, and then also Mike, you know, came and was hanging out and, and building with us. So all those kind of things can re-spice up that relationship with work and and add a new yep. uh a new, some new elements to it but no it was it was it was different <laughs> right it was it was fun having uh you know sort of brainstorming ideas troubleshooting problems and also just sort of the friendly sort of competition of seeing somebody else do a project you like, oh wow that was cool i want to do that something like that too so uh switching up your environment changing your process or your format experimenting with new things, I think are all ways to sort of avoid that burnout um, without sort of saying, oh, just work less. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm just coming off of like nine days straight work with Mike from Industrial Maker. He just left this morning, actually. Um, and that was, it was one of those things where like, I mean, it was hard work. Like we were putting in long days pretty much every single day in a row and, you know, doing concrete work out in 95 degree weather isn't fun, but it was definitely fun getting to work with a new material and like getting to the point where now I feel comfortable enough with it that I can do it on my own and work it into my repertoire. It, it would, so it's, yeah, it was like, it was kind of reinvigorating on one level because you're doing something new, but then it also kind of made me, it's like kind of bittersweet. Like when he left, then it was, it is kind of nice to go back to normalcy in a way. So it's like, I don't know. It's nice to have that little departure here and there to reinvigorate yourself, I guess. Yeah, I saw the project. It looks awesome. Is that is that your what you've been working on? Pretty much. So yeah, you probably saw the one that uh, Mike has been posting pictures of, which is the curvy the curvy concrete bench. Yeah. So we did a few projects. We we each wanted to make sure we got one like pretty big kind of hero project in. So that was his. And for mine, it's this kind of like Lego river table that we hinted at, which I'll I'll, I'll hold off on the pictures because it's not done yet. But I will say 
So last week when we recorded the podcast, it was in the form. So I had not seen it yet. And I was kind of like skeptical. Was it going to come out? Wasn't it? And I can report that it did work out. So when we, when we flipped it over, it was pretty awesome. Like it was probably the most excited I've been on a project so far. And probably that's partially just because like the surprise of doing something in concrete where you don't really know what's going to happen. And then you, it's like unwrapping a gift kind of, you see what the outcome was. So it was just like a huge sigh of relief seeing that it worked and then followed by excitement of like, this is going to be awesome. Like I can't wait to, to finish the rest of it. And it's like actually the most excited I've been to like, I can't wait to show this to people once it's finished. That's awesome. I've not really had that feeling before. I'm curious to see how you'll do the video because there, that is, you hit on one of the things in, about concrete that makes it kind of interesting for making videos is there is that opportunity for a reveal of, you know, demolding it, oh, yeah. right? I always just speed right through that, but I'm sure you'll do something kind of, you know, talk about that uh, anticipation and believe me, I've demolded a lot of concrete pieces that didn't come out so good. So <laughs> not so fun that way. Yeah, we it goes uh, both ways. We made sure to like get a reaction. So you know, we had two cameras set up when I was taking it apart, so that we could just kind of see like, uh, you know, obviously hoping that it came out. But what would my reaction be like? So if worse came to worse, we'd have something at least. Mike, what have you been working on? Uh, I just put out a video this week of a big modular garage storage system with a built-in workbench. Uh, it's something that's all kind of based around using eight-foot plywood or, sorry, particle board and eight-foot two-by-fours and cutting as few boards as possible. So very kind of like Anna White style of a project, but maybe, you know, with a little bit more of a modern builds twist. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Came out really great, and I think this is the first time I'm ever going to do a two-part kind of video series, a sort of follow-up to the original. Uh, I had big plans for this project, but I kind of had some sponsor deadlines with the end of the month, so I didn't get to do as much done in the first video as I wanted to. And after I put the video out, I got a lot of really good suggestions, people saying, oh, you need to put uh, kind of like a library ladder, kind of one of those rolly bookshelf ladders up there for the top mm. shelves to get up there to those bins. Um, it would be really cool if you did, you know, maybe a pegboard wall and a couple of other things. And so a lot of those comments that people were leaving were kind of the ideas that I wish that I had time to do. So if anything, maybe it'll give, you know, seeing that part two might give people that didn't see the part one a reason to go watch that at least. Because I think it's a video that long term will do well. And I think it's very useful to a lot of people. So if I can help get that project a little bit of an early boost, I'm definitely going to do that. So were the cuts minimal enough that like you, if someone doesn't even have a lot of tools, they could get the the sheet goods cut down at Home Depot, for example, to to, to build it or totally. So that's what I did. Um, in terms of two by fours, everything is either an eight foot long piece, a four foot long piece, or a thirty inch long piece. So there's basically like you know just make twenty of the same cuts over and over again. And then with the sheet mm. goods, everything was just cutting it down to thirty inches wide, which I had Home Depot do on the panel saw. Um, I did use the circular saw to cut those scraps down so I could use those to kind of fill in the rest of the shelves to save a little bit of money uh, and kind of just stretch that material out a little bit further. But this would be a super easy circular saw only project, you know, and with, with a drill and driver. I think it's a cool way of just making a, a, a big project that doesn't take a lot of skill, time or, or uh, you know, equipment. Well, for me, I've been publishing a lot of videos that I've already <laughs> already built the projects for so the jesse's plastic bag uh recycling videos out i love that project it's fantastic 
And then my workbench video is now finally live. Had to wait a little bit for, for a sponsor to approve it. Um, but lately, I've been working on the tiny house. So learning a ton. We're almost ready to pour the concrete. The formwork for the foundations is all done. Uh, I learned how to sort of install rebar, which I've sort of seen done before, but I've never actually got my hands on it, like how you sort of wire it together and stage it. And it's a really interesting process because you kind of have to suspend it and it has to hang in the middle of the concrete. And it's just, it's really like, it just creates this big like marionette puppet kind of thing (laughs) that's heavy and cumbersome and can scratch you. So (laughs) that's been uh, uh, interesting. All of this is happening in sort of, you know, 90 to 100 degree weather in the, the middle of the desert. So that's that's been fun. The the other thing that we've just been working on is doing the plumbing and electrical roughens. So before you uh, pour the concrete, you need to have sort of all the plumbing roughens done. And I'm not doing them. I'm working with a plumber to, to sort of, you know, install them all. And it's just interesting to see the process of how they go about it. Because I keep feeling like, okay, I need to explain all these things to him. So, But he just comes in, he just knows what to do because it's so repetitive for them. So that's been been really cool. Like, so just picking up all these like little tips and, and tricks. Hopefully we'll be pouring concrete right after the 4th of July. We're recording uh, before it. Um, so hopefully right around when this podcast is live, uh, we'll be pouring concrete and that's the, that's awesome. the sort of the moment of the moment of truth um, where you know everything has to be sort of done and prepped before it and we'll also be getting our first inspection from a building inspector so throughout the the process of building a home you have to have the inspector come out before you can go forward with certain stages so they have to come out before you pour the concrete to verify that all your rebar and all the structural things inside the concrete are in place because obviously once you pour the concrete they can't tell um, so fingers crossed that everything goes well with that. And, uh, you know, hope, I'm not sure if the inspector is going to let me sort of videotape him and sort of doing that, but I'm hoping I can sort of ask him questions and get some, some, some things, uh, some info just about like some of the crazy things he's seen. I'm sure he has some good sort of OSHA is this okay kind of stories. <laughs> the other interesting thing that I figured out is that I have a very famous neighbor. So the, the, the person that lives next door to me is the drummer for the Rolling Stones. What? Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So he has like a like a cabin out there uh, too, and he throws parties like a few times a year. So hopefully we'll, we'll get an invite and he's not annoyed by, you know, Mike sort of parking his bus on the, on, on the landing between us uh, for too long. But I thought that was kind of cool, right? Like drummer for the Rolling Stones is like my neighbor and wow. throws, throws apparently ragers and uh, – has a bunch of friends over and they all play music outside. That's insane. <laughs> really excited the project's moving forward and, uh, you know, and that we're starting to make up some ground now that we finally have those those permits. So real quick before we get into the topic, I just want to do a little uh, update on the live episode, episode 100 that we have coming up. So everybody, if you've registered to come, we've sent out the invoice for tickets. So you should have that by now. If you want to come but you didn't RSVP, still go ahead and send something in. Even though we're full right now, there's a chance that some people might change their mind and not want to come. And that way we'll still have a running tally of the order that you wanted to come in. So, you know, basically by attrition, there might be some spots that open up. And so we'll send those out probably in about a week from now. So that's pretty much all the the upkeep. Again, 
big shout out to Local Fixture for hosting us. We sold um, out though. That's sick. Yeah, it's sold out. And things are shaping up really nicely. The the drinks, the food, the entertainment, which Woo-hoo. is us. Um, yeah, everything's coming together. So big shout out to Local Fixture for helping us out with it. We definitely could not have done it without them. And we'll throw a link to their store in the uh, description. And what's the date again? July 21st. Awesome. So we've got a pretty cool topic today. This one was a little brainchild of Ben's. So if you want to hop in and kind of explain what we're going to be talking about. Well, we're sort of halfway through the year. And so I thought we'd do kind of a recap. Um, What we thought has been the highlights, what we've learned, uh, what have been some of the challenges that we've faced and overcome or maybe not overcome. And also uh, what we're sort of excited about for the, the second half of the year. So do you guys remember your New Year's resolutions? I don't. <laughs> honestly, I, I honestly <laughs> let's don't. Go, let's quickly go listen to that episode. Yeah. I, I didn't think it. <laughs> it's so funny how that works. It's like the same way that like the gym is really busy in like February yeah, yeah, or yeah. up to like February and then if people <sighs> regress to the norm. The, yeah. the only one I remember from mine was uh, fewer projects but bigger projects. And I've definitely done <laughs> bigger projects. And that's been both good and bad. So I, I guess I'll go, I'll go first. So. The, that was supposed to be the theme for my year is, is do less different things, but do bigger, more significant things. And that was like the school with in Uganda and then this tiny house. Good in theory, except those projects have taken, both of them have gone on a lot longer and had a lot more challenges and delays with them. And, you know, I think the, I thought it was going to be more, it was going to sort of clear up my focus and meaning that, um, oh, that means I only have to think about fewer things, but I'm going to think about them for a longer period of time. And I thought that would maybe keep me a little bit less frantic. The good theory, but what sort of actually happened was both of those projects had lots of delays, and then I obviously didn't want to sit around and do nothing. And then so I took on a whole bunch of small projects into those delays, and then all of a sudden I needed to do something again for the big project and, and so forth. So uh, it didn't quite work out the way I'd hoped. I'm still excited about uh, both the, the school and the tiny house. Um, and I still think those will be the the two sort of, you know, things that I remember the most about this sort of year and projects for me. But I think the thing I sort of thought about more in retrospect would be uh, it's not that simple because both of those projects have so many outside constraints on them that are outside of my control, like permits or waiting for funding and stuff like that. So I think if, if I was to embrace that theory or that resolution again, I would caveat it with like things that are, are, are more within my realm of being able to sort of control them because otherwise it's sort of what I've sort of regressed to the norm. And, and actually this is probably going to be the year that I published the most amount of videos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of the nature of taking on bigger things like that is that there's going to be more people involved and you're not going to be in control of it. That's probably always how it's going to go with bigger things unless like you just had some crazy project that, you know, you're going to do like a, I'm going to build an entire house with my bare hands. You're going to do like some primitive technology or something like that. Right. And, and the other thing that I, I thought was that in the past, sort of larger furniture scale projects have performed really well for me, sofas and tables. Mm-hmm. And so in the meantime, when these sort of, I was had sort of downtimes so while I was waiting for permitting or a survey or something like that, uh, oh, I'll just knock out a bunch of these things that have worked for me in the past. 
but YouTube's uh, landscape has changed a little bit, and those same types of things that worked well for me in the past aren't performing uh, the same way, which is good and bad. It's you know bad because I don't have an easy way to generate the same kind of numbers, but it's good because it's like, well, now I have to be less derivative of myself and go out and experiment with some some new things. And you know, it's those kinds of observations uh, when I see something not performing like previous previous uh sort of experiments then i immediately say okay well what haven't i done yet and that sort of led to some some things that have been a lot of fun which is sort of like the the new sort of experimenting with different inlays and then also the sort of uh metal working for beginner series yeah that sort of throws back to the kind of burnout thing we were talking about earlier in the episode is a lot of times people get burnt out because they find a format that works and then kind of beats it to death until it no longer performs. And then I think uh, maybe doing that same format and then it not getting the same amount of views as it used to, a lot of people would probably be discouraged by that and probably attribute that to burnout. But I think what you're saying is is really good because it's saying, I can't do this anymore, so let me find something I can do rather than I can't do this anymore, YouTube sucks, or <laughs> I don't like this anymore, you know? Yeah. Has there been anything that you've found that has worked really well for you this year that maybe you hadn't thought of in the past or surprised you? Anything that jumps to mind for that? Um, yeah, I think the, the the sort of some of the projects with ready-mades, like the, the loft bed that we made out of scaffolding, uh, it surprised me. I mean, I, I thought it would be popular. It, it, it's how well it's doing has, has, scored, has really surprised me. And then also, I think the other big revelation was a project that was actually from last year. The solar shed is just continuing to to sort of perform really, really well, which was the impetus of doing fewer projects but bigger projects. I think it's closing in on like 2 million views, right. and it's also my longest uh, video. When, when I first started this, the idea was to sort of make modern DIY furniture more accessible uh, with a lot of affordable options at different sort of levels. And at the time when I was started, there was a lot of sort of DIY maker videos, but they weren't as focused on sort of finished pieces that, you know, have a kind of a nice hipster sort of modern feel. And now I was looking at it and I was looking at, you know, sort of uh, just searching modern DIY furniture and there's a ton of thumbnails and it's awesome. Right, like the 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 landscape now is more filled with content than ever before, and I'm excited to see all these different options. Because now, if you're sort of a young homeowner and you're you're doing it, you're not just seeing a few content creators' things. There's a ton of them, and like a lot of the plywood challenge videos showed up. So, I think what that's telling me is that uh, my work in that area is uh, nearing a completion. Um, that I got into this, uh, as I talked about in my TED Talk, because that sort of felt like a, a mission to me. I felt that like most of the, the professional designers I knew sort of neglected the low end or the DIY end of the market. I don't think that that end of the market is as neglected anymore. And I've heard some YouTubers, I've been listening to the, the Wondell Highs project because Jimmy recommended it on, uh, on making it. And they were sort of talking about it oversaturation or just too many people as if it's a bad thing. Uh, or, I mean, I can understand it, you know, uh, from a selfish perspective, but no, it's, it's a fantastic thing that for, for users. And just for me, I just take that as, uh, it's time to put myself back into the situation that it was four years ago and not do what I have done, but do something that I, 
that I see is missing from that sort of uh, massive YouTube library of content. Well, actually, so kind of when Ben was talking, it got me thinking. So I just pulled up a list of my videos from this year to just kind of see like, oh, what has performed for me this year? Oh, okay. And so if I look back, I'll just say towards the end of last year and going through this year, my best performing videos have actually been the things that are a lot more DIY than what I normally do. Which kind of, I mean, I guess that makes sense because there's just a bigger pool that you're drawing from when you're doing that. So like uh, the DIY platform bed that me and Johnny Brooke did together. Then at the very beginning of the year, I did a, that DIY um, TV stand that had the red and the blue door. Yeah. And then the, the coffee table that I made for um, the, the plywood challenge have been like three of my best performing recent videos. So then it got, I don't know, like, you know, you start thinking like, oh, that seems to be like what's really working in terms of views. Is that what I should be doing? But then I think that, and this is something that I feel like I've kind of learned throughout time is that just like looking at views or just numbers doesn't necessarily mean that's what's best. Like if it was just get the most views and all of the, you know, my sole source of income was YouTube uh, you know, AdSense or whatever it's called, AdSense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then, yeah, that would be the goal. But I think doing the higher end stuff still probably brings me more value, even if it brings less views, because I think it builds like my uh, community. It makes my community stronger. I think that's more of the thing that people like to see me. Whereas the DIY stuff is probably just a good way to like branch out more and bring people into the fold. Totally. When I'm doing those kind of like, you know, the failure video or the redemption video that I just recently put out, those are both performing really well. And those are really strong, I think, within the base that I've built, but they're really not reaching out and bringing a whole lot of new people into the fold. So I guess, yeah, that's one way. And so one of the things that I also thought about was I feel like I've started not even purposefully, but it's just kind of naturally happened that I think I pay less attention to subscribers than I used to. Like I used to pay so much attention to my subscriber count and I don't know how it is for you guys. Like I know Ben, you're closing in on a million. So it probably kind of ebbs and flows where as you start approaching those milestones, you maybe pay attention to it a little bit more than you have been just because it's like a big thing that's happening. But I feel like I used to like really hang on the subscriber count and I don't anymore because I feel like even though it's not near the biggest in YouTube, it's big enough that if I can make that audience tighter, then it's enough people. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think subscriber numbers are a little bit overrated. And I think as, you know, as YouTube continues to evolve and grow as a platform, they're, they're less indicative to sort of views and reach than, uh, than people think, you know, my, my most viewed video happened when I had, you know, like a fifth of the amount of subscribers that I do now. Uh, so I, I think, you know, subscribers are a nice number and they'll still be used to doing that. But even the way brands value uh, influencers now is much more on sort of 30-day performance, uh, first 30-day performance than it is on subscribers. They might use subscribers to identify those people to then look at their first 30-day performance. Um, yeah. But those are those are probably, that's the probably the more key metric that, that most savvy brands, at least, are, are sort of looking at. So... No, and, and I, I, th- I think that's a healthy way to look at it is, you know, not get caught up or 
pick the numbers that sort of work for you to get sort of excited and and use those sort of benchmarks, not the ones that don't actually do a lot for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the other thing is, um, you know, focusing on so. It's not like now I'm saying I'm intentionally doing things that are not going to grow my subscribers. Like, you know, hopefully and in theory, I should be gaining subscribers faster than I was then. But it's just like putting that energy into worrying about it when you can't really even control it. I don't know. You just like it's hard to do in the beginning because you're just focused on it. You just are because that's what you measure yourself by. But like there's really nothing that you can do to really affect it other than what you should be doing otherwise, which or, or anyways, which is making good content. But yeah, I mean, unless you're just like trying to pander and do things that might grow an audience, but I, there's no guarantees with any of this stuff. So it might not even work if you tried to do that. Mike, what about you? Well, Mid- mid-season revelations do you have? Revelations, exactly. So I yeah. went into this year knowing that I wanted to explore the ideas and concepts that I kind of come up with more than I had in the past. So... Especially looking back last year at my videos, I had some I had some bangers. I mean, I had I felt like the per, the paracord stool was a solid idea, and I should have explored that a lot more. But not to say it's too late to do it now, but it's kind of too late to do it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whenever I came across the fact that you can buy like big three inch dowels on Amazon, I made a really simple bookcase that was just meant to be the kind of intro to the idea but I never explored it any further. And I've done that quite a few times. And at the end of last year, I kind of noticed that I did that and I didn't want to do it anymore. So whenever I come up with new materials to use, new processes or whatever it is, I want to make sure that I'm exploring that and like doing it justice. And so at the beginning of the year, um, I was doing the no weld kind of coffee table and I immediately followed Mm -hmm. that up with a no weld dining table. Um, similar with like, I built a workbench. I've also done the DIY track saw. I just did this garage kind of workbench storage thing. Um, and so whenever I'm getting these ideas, whether it's, you know, to do a bed, I'm doing two beds or like with, uh, the, the videos I'm doing with the Rust-Oleum where I'm taking, uh, at first it was that Ames, Ames style lounge chair. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's turning the lockers into a media console in the past. And I still find myself doing it. A lot of times I bit I get satisfied with the idea. So once I've kind of had the inception of it was like one of the things like Ben, we were talking about bungee cords a lot. Mm-hmm. And I find myself just being satisfied with having the good idea. And then by the time I get done with one project incorporating bungee cords, I'm ready to just like turn another corner and go do something else because I've had another idea. And oftentimes because I've had, you know, 10 good project ideas that are circled around bungee cords I'm happy with them but I don't realize no one else in the world has seen them or like heard me or experienced them the same way I have Um, so I just need to do a more focused effort on making sure that when I have ideas they're expressed fully um, and that I it's what you're doing Ben with the intro to metal series Right, Uh, you're doing I don't know how many you're going to do, but you're probably going to have like six videos kind of all in the same little mini series. And it's just just taking your idea to the finish line, I think, is really important. It's it's an interesting concept. And it's something I think uh, we see a lot in musicians, right? Well, they'll create a a certain sound, right? Or they'll have all these pent up stories or material or sort of emotional experiences. And they'll just do a killer first album, right? And then there's some people 
that say, oh, that worked. I want to hammer that formula right. again, right? And so they, their, their second album sounds a lot like the first one, which is probably commercially the smart thing to do. The more people that sort of fancy themselves the, the sort of truer sort of artists immediately want the next one not to be like the other one, but they want to find the new authentic experience that, that they sort of have. And, you know, as the, those are the type of artists that are living in the moment. I think that's kind of, uh, I don't really like the term artist too much because I just think it's, it's so broad and it means so many things to other people. But I think there's some, some of the things that you're describing is that it's awesome because it means that you're actually looking to your own satisfaction, right? You're, you're, you're following your own interest more than you are just audience feedback, uh, which is, which is good. And it's a noble thing to do, but there's also the sort of practical part or this on the flip side, it can also be self-indulgent to just jump around to whatever your whims and interests are before you've really sort of presented a good idea in its completion. Uh, I'm the same way as I get very fidgety. I like to do a lot of different things. I like to have a lot of projects going on at the same time. And what I've sort of seen is that if I'm going to do a project and I don't think it's going to be one that just you know massively goes viral, well then do what you're sort of talking about. Make sure I exhaust the idea and put sort of a complete thing. And that's why I've been thinking about doing more of these sort of like little mini series within the overall channel where I can really sort of explore a topic. Because again, like I was like I sort of observed earlier, there's a lot of good furniture build videos out there from a lot of different people, and that's amazing. So it's like how am I going to sort of differentiate? Well, maybe I'll consolidate, you know, a little bit more around experimentation. And, you know, I start to, when I, when I look at that and I see sort of a crowded or more competitive landscape, it makes me uh, excited because then I sort of look inward and be like, well, what am I, what are, what are my competitive advantages? What are my sort of unfair advantages? And, and how do I leverage those a little bit more? And I know I'm a little bit more likely to experiment and juxtapose or do weird material mixes and things like that. So I'm like, well, let's double down, but not have it seem so random. Let's utilize that experimentation so that the, it's not just a bunch of random different shots in the dark, but they sort of can make like a little four episode series that somebody might use to help them get into something new. Uh, This could be a branch off for a conversation. So around the idea of batching ideas or whatever, maybe you guys could shed some light on me give me some advice. So, with Mike just having left Clifford, obviously we did a lot of concrete work. So like I already said, I did the the Lego slab and that is going to be very different from anything that's ever been on my channel. Then I also did a slab for a piece that I'm going to build that's going to be a lot more in the wheelhouse of what people are used to seeing from me, but that will incorporate some concrete. And then I also did one little project, which is just like an add-on piece to another project that was already slated to come out next week. So that'll, by next week, that'll already be out. Okay. So is there, like, do you think that there's a better or worse way of introducing the bigger concrete projects? Like, do you think it makes more sense to just come out of left field with this crazy Lego project and then follow it up with a more in my wheelhouse thing or vice versa? Or do you think it even matters? I think there's the, the practical, there's the sort of practical logistical constraints is that concrete is messy and it uses different tools and needs a lot of space and things like that. So batching concrete together means that you're getting out the, the mixing trays and all the, the messy stuff and to do that. So practically batching makes a ton of sense. Um, so I think the, the way I might think of it is uh, you might not want to 
mix mix it in consistently. You might want to sort of do three concrete projects, uh, go back to your sort of bread and butter, let ideas build up about three or four good or maybe like five or six good concrete ideas, and then do another batch, right? Like maybe like three or four months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like you do these sort of surges in them. You might not release them all at once, but I think that might be an effective way both to let sort of idea build up sort of happen and also, you know, minimize the amount of sort of setup and desetting up uh, for the, the, the sort of physical specifics of that material. Yeah, but in terms of like this content that you already have filmed and putting it out, I say come out swinging. Throw out, I mean, I know you had you said you have the one video that's tied into a project that will have already Legos. been out, so I'd probably go ahead and put that one, unless there's some reason it needs to come afterwards. But yeah, I say come out swinging. Yeah. And then the next week when you put out the one that's kind of bridging the gap between the two projects, if anybody didn't click the first one because it was a little too in left field, maybe this will give them a reason to go mm-hmm. click over. That's where that's how I would justify it. Gotcha. Awesome. What about you guys? I mean, Ben, you, I, I haven't done too many like left field projects. I think they're all kind of like deviations off of what I kind of typically do. But like with the kinetic sand and kind of those weird off the wall projects that you've done, Ben, have you seen any reason that putting you know one video before another would would matter too much? No, I don't. Like I, I think YouTube is pretty randomized. Uh, and also, like, there's when the audiences get large too. There's so many different behaviors. There's different time zones that people are watching these things in. Um, my, my my thought is always worry less about what's happening behind a YouTube interface and worry what's what's more happening behind your own face. Um, and <laughs> for me, it's still optimizing for idea flow, for enjoyment, uh, emotional management for this kind of endeavor is really important if you if you watch numbers and let yourself get discouraged on a regular basis it's hard to be and physically as energetic and prolific as uh as as you would be if you were like really excited and feeling good about things yeah Um, if i'm sort of feeling stressed or feeling like annoyed or things i am not at my best sort of idea creation sense um so managing those expectations and also you know having uh sort of protocols for yourself of like what to do when you get sort of negative feedback that kind of sticks with you and all these things how to manage the sort of uh the feeling that things might be declining right uh how to to translate all of the little annoyances road bumps frustration setbacks into like positive energy is it's not just kind of like hippy dippy bullshit. It's actually like really functionally important because you, you know, when I see the most successful people in this space or many others, it's often those people that are able to, uh, not be emotionless, but be, but to harness that and to be really productive. When I see people that are incredibly talented, but maybe not, uh, performing at their, to the, the, their full extent of their abilities, it's often because of bad emotional management or they get hung up on one little thing that goes bad and then they, they do that. Or there are people that talk about, you know, for all their good ideas, they talk more about what they can't do because of this and because of this and because of this. The, yeah. the big takeaway I had from uh, having Mike out here was just how, 
how cheerful you were when things even went bad. Like it didn't matter if you like cut your finger or something fell apart or made a big mess. And <laughs> you had a few sort of like disastrous kind of kind of moments, but you were so good natured about that. And I said like, huh, I, I, I need to take a little bit more of that because I would just see you, you just pick right back up and, and go right to it. And I think that's, it's easy to say, oh, that's a personality trait. That person's like that. But I think those kind of things are learnable. And when you see it sort of work for someone, it's something that I've tried to sort of, you know, embrace more and be a little bit less cynical and a little bit more, uh, you know, okay, have your have your 10 seconds of cursing and then uh, yeah, figure out something fun and, and get right back on it. Yeah, totally. Um, and not to, you know, pat myself on the, on the back there because I definitely don't think it is a personality trait. It's definitely something I work to try and do, especially being in front of people that I'm, because it's a big thing when you're by yourself, you can really let yourself get pissed off when you don't have other people there to like keep you in check in a sense. You know, you don't want to be the one making a scene getting pissed off over something. Um, and that sort of happened this past week with the garage sh- shelves I was building. They're, they're all tied into the studs of the wall rather than having legs on the back. Saves a little bit of material and makes everything a little bit of a tighter profile against the wall. And the first day I was trying to put these up, one, I was using Phillips head screws, which, man, I hate them compared to star bit screws. They strip out so fast and so easy. You got to make sure you're driving them perfectly straight. Um, and aside from that, uh, if you watch the video, you kind of see that I'm using scrap two by fours basically as little braces to prop up each of the shelves because I'm putting them up myself yeah. and then screwing everything in kind of one at a time. But before I was doing that, I was sitting here trying to hold this shelf that was, you know, 30 inches wide, 8 feet long. I'm trying to hold it on top of a ladder while driving screws and all of this kind of stuff. And I was just getting incredibly frustrated um, and had, like, knocked myself in the head a couple times with boards uh, on accident. (laughs) And I just found myself getting really, really mad. And it was getting to the point where it was like 5, 6 o'clock. You know, I only had about two hours of daylight left. So I just decided, you know what? I'm done for the day. I'm going to like sweep up the sawdust and then I'm going to go inside and I'm just going to not think about it for the rest of the day. And then that night, don't I didn't have like a dream about it, but I like I woke up thinking, "Oh, all I need to do is I was reminded of watching some like HGTV shows where whenever people are putting upper cabinets, they use basically the same thing I'm doing or they screw in a ledge on the wall to set all of the cabinets up on." Yeah. But it was just one of those things where it's like I could have been there for two and a half, three hours until it got dark and probably made like 20% of the progress of putting these shelves up and just got in really, really mad. Or I could have just like stepped back and then had the right idea kind of come to me. Um, so that was a big lesson. And I think that's kind of, that was going to tie into the last thing I was going to talk about is working with other people. It helps you grow in ways that I wouldn't have expected. So before I talk about like the whole maker brand thing, I had never done a collaboration project prior to this year outside of one small thing that I did with Douglas from Retro World, but I wouldn't call that a proper collab. Um, and since then, I... Solar Shed. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> that was at the end of last year. I was kind of counting that almost Does as it, this year. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, was it? Yeah. I was like, oh no, that was the end of last year, huh? But outside outside of the Solar Shed, like I, had, I, I went to Asheville, collabed with Johnny Brook, uh, with Kressel Anderson. So one, I got to work in his shop that uses a lot more kind of woodworking tools it showed me some processes that i don't normally do and tools i don't normally use we did a lot i was i've figured out how to make a really cool metal bending jig to make hairpin legs 
Uh, while Kressel was there, he brought his foundry out. We melted aluminum, poured it into this slab. Like we did a lot of things that I ne- never would have done on my own. And then beyond that, like Chris, I went over to your place. I used a CNC for, for the first time in my life. Whenever Mike uh, Clifford from Industrial Maker was down, we used glass fiber reinforced concrete for the first time, something I never would have done on my own. So there's all these things that like, if you just kind of broaden your network a little bit, uh, it could be people that you meet on the internet. It could be people in your in your actual life. There's a lot of people out there with skills that you don't have. You know, it could be your neighbor that has tools you don't. It could be your friend that is a mechanic and you're a woodworker, but you want to do some metal projects and he probably knows better than you do. Um, like there's all these opportunities to just like get the those little bits of information from the people around you. And it just so happens that, you know, for us, a lot of our kind of circle are people that we know on the internet and so that's kind of how that worked out but even with maker brand i had never i had never been involved in a company that it wasn't me doing a hundred percent of the work on so it's been a lesson in like delegation trusting people to do good jobs also keeping up with people to make sure everyone's on the same page and then just kind of the the challenges of making a product and manufacturing it overseas is just a challenge on its own that I won't even go into, but just the idea of like learning from other people, working with other people. Um, it's something that I appreciate, you know, and I didn't even mention going out to California. That was a whole thing on its own really. But all of this kind of the idea of like broadening my network with people, uh, that are like-minded, but have different skills than me has been really important. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I think that's probably the natural evolution of thing uh, at, as this grows, you just are going to work with more and more people just because you meet them and you're like-minded and you want to work together. I was going to say the the thing that I thought about, like, as I've reflected on my feelings about collaborating, like, I would say I definitely love brainstorming with people. Like, to me, that's the biggest benefit of collaboration is the brainstorming part of it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, anytime you're working on something that's like big where you just need two people or it's a skill that you're being taught by somebody else, that's a huge benefit. I find that when I get to doing the things that like I'm comfortable doing and the other person is comfortable doing, I, I actually prefer kind of to work alone, but like next to other people. I think that's kind of my ideal situation is like other people are around, but we're all kind of like doing our thing. And then when the moment's right to pitch in on each other's, then you start doing it. Like, I think that's like my dream scenario is to somehow get into that kind of a environment. I, I agree. I think it, it, it's, it's not related, but it reminded me of it. But there is, I think it was Alexander the Great. They would always say, uh, march apart, but fight together. Um, so, you know, cause if you're mm-hmm. marching apart, it makes it harder to be ambushed. But then when you're, when you are actually in combat, you want to be working as one sort of unit. I, I have a similar sort of feeling, I think, as what you were sort of expressing, Chris, is that I like, I like brains. I like for me, the most fun collaboration right now is uh, working on separate projects, but then like checking in on each other oh, around lunchtime. Oh, what 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 do you got working? What are you working on, Mike? Oh, how are you going to solve that? Oh, really? You can use a riveter for that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then end of the day, sort of having having drinks and uh, you know enjoying a nice uh, plate of appetizers at Applebee's together and, you know, uh, <laughs> no, but sort of looking at Pinterest and, and comparing notes and sort of say, wait, you know, talking about what you're going to do tomorrow. Oh, I got to figure out how to do this. And the other person goes, Oh, well, did you think of this? So potential solution. Yeah. That, that kind of collaboration is fun because it, 
it minimizes the frustration because one, even when you did have a frustrating day, it's fun to vent over it uh, at the end of the day with, with somebody else that totally knows where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Now there is, there is, you know, two people working on one project can add to something. For me, I find it with just like the schedule of how I like to produce things. It's a little bit less things. So I feel like me and Mike have been collaborating since we've been living in the same place and his projects are informing mine and mine's informing his. We just haven't worked on the same particular project. Yeah, exactly. But I think we have a good format because one, we're collaborating on an idea sense, which is what we're all saying, I think is kind of the most valuable thing you can do is contribute ideas to each other. But nobody needs to sit around and watch someone else sand. Or, you know what I mean? So it's like... Right. Grab a sand. Right. We both have our individual projects, but it's like what you were talking about with riveting. Like, I was doing this locker cabinet thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I was tearing it apart, all these kind of things, while Ben was doing something else. But whenever I started riveting things together, like, Ben quit his project for five minutes, and, like, we used the rivet gun, and we both kind of figured out how to use it. And it's the same thing when he was doing, like, his metal bending projects. When he's just, like, screwing boards together making the jig, he doesn't need me there for that. I mean... Maybe he uses me for like uh, for my weight to hold down a piece. Wait, um, <laughs> not after that keto diet. But that's what it is. Like I don't want to sit around and like watch him screw two by fours together. But once he starts bending the metal, like I want to see. I want to see what he's thinking. I want to help him as much as I can and all that kind of stuff. So it's like being valuable where you can, and also like it's also just like not wasting anybody's time is good. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, what are you guys obsessed with this week? You guys been watching any videos, any series? I got one, and it's a it's an important one. So I'm obsessed right now with the new TV show, Making It, Ooh. the one that stole the name from the <laughs> our favorite podcast. That's not our podcast, uh, the Making It podcast. So actually, Jimmy Duresta uh, was in town, or is in sort of the LA area for uh, some sort of conference, and so he stopped by and said hi, and we're talking to him and stuff. So. He, as most of you know, that uh, I assume most of our audience knows who Jimmy DeResta is. If not, check him out. He's awesome. Really cool YouTuber and uh, uh, has a cool Instagram channel as well. So he was on that show, or he's going to be on that new show that's coming out on NBC, Making It, the show that I was supposed to be on that uh, I got into. You, you uh, <laughs> I think it's documented on the podcast before. You weren't crafty enough. I had a strong disagreement <laughs> with some of the producers and pulled myself from the from the running of being one of the contestants, and the more I see from the trailers and stuff of the show, uh, I think that was probably a good fit for me. Um, so Jimmy is supposed to be like the shop master on it, but I've been checking their YouTube channel and their Instagram channel, and they haven't mentioned him in any of the the early sort of social media posts they've done, which is crazy because he has a you know. Most people would say Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman are more famous than Jimmy DeResta. I would say that's probably not the case because if you just look at social media followers combined, you know, YouTube and Instagram, he has more than them. It's really odd uh, that, you know, they haven't mentioned him or featured him on social media at all. Right. And I would like to call upon the maker community to kind of friendly, you know, no no need to get rude or anything, but just call him out on that. Just be like, where's Jimmy? Yeah, where's Jimmy? Um, so I've been going on the, the their Instagram account and their YouTube account and just commenting and being like, where is Jimmy DeResta? And I think there's a hashtag, where's Jimmy? But make sure you also say Jimmy DeResta because that will 
that will let people know that maybe don't know who he is that are just coming there for Amy Poehler to to, to learn about him. But the the point of all this isn't just to troll uh, these these shows. It's because it's it's about the way people that make TV look at people in our space. They look at it as a lesser thing. Uh, when really what we're doing is creative driven and what they're doing is formula driven and sort of recognizable name driven. And it's a way less creative process. And they, they insist on sort of manufacturing drama when it's not there. So uh, I know everyone, or there's a lot of uh, our audience that, that just absolutely loves Jimmy as, as, as we do. He's, he's such an important member of this community. So show your support. I know he'll never sort of ask for that kind of support because he's, uh, that's just not how he is, but I can ask for it. So uh, show your support for him. And also the fact that they took like a really cool podcast and like, oh, that's going to be our name. That shows you how they think about it. They just assume they're going to be bigger and more important. And you know what? I don't think they're going to be. So uh, let them hear it. Keep it friendly, but keep it positive and just be like, hey, where's Jimmy DiResta? I came here. I came to this channel because I like his work. And I want to see him in a new environment, which would be awesome. And uh, let them know that that's the thing you care about. Uh, yeah. And uh, let's uh, let's support uh, one of our favorite makers. You know, you know where I would like to see Jimmy Duresta on the Lakers with LeBron James. I know, geez, dang it! Man. <laughs> I said it wouldn't happen too. I was I was I was really confident that it wouldn't happen. He's here, baby. Congrats, dude. That's he, that's killer. I'm I'm you. excited to see. I'm excited to see the what NBA's happens. NBA is more dude. exciting, right? Do what? NBA is more exciting. NBA is more exciting now. There we go. <laughs> Especially for Lakers fans. No, and, but, uh, I'm actually really happy that you guys kept Paul George because I really didn't want him. Yeah, what do you think of that, Mike? Let's hear the hot take <laughs> on keeping Paul George. Oh, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's a huge hot take with Oklahoma City. Uh, I think you know we got stuck with Carmelo for another year. That's 28 million yeah. down the drain. Uh, we got Paul George back. Unless we can run a two guard offense, you know, if we can if we can get Paul George to actual handle the ball a little bit and get some, get a little bit higher usage rate, there's no sense in keeping him because he's not a spot up shooter. But that's the only way we're utilizing him. So we need a new coach and we need to drop Carmelo. Do people there love Westbrook? Uh, I think I think most people do. I I've always been on the fence. He's kind of hard to play with. I could understand, but. You know, he's good. He's very good, but... He was like their second favorite that became their favorite when he didn't leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think a lot of people, a lot of people that say anything, which I can, I kind of agree with. I mean, I want a championship more than anybody, you know, not more than anybody, but as much as anybody in Oklahoma City. But I feel like Westbrook is kind of like one of those players that like, it's hard to win a championship with a Westbrook type. That's what I was going to say. He's very good, but... Yeah, because it relies completely win. on him. Mm-hmm. Like if you like, if we're talking playoffs, he needs twenty good games. Yeah, yeah, to get us a final lights out or sixteen. Sorry, he, we need like he needs sixteen light out, lights out games over the course of a month and a half, and that's a lot to ask because like our entire offense completely rides on him. So, but anyways, yeah, I'm I'm still happy for for LA. That's gonna be cool to see. Well, that was my obsession. Yeah, maybe we'll make it to a Laker game when you get back. Yeah, because it's gonna be it's gonna be like a L.A. and San Francisco is where the Warriors are at, basically. So it's gonna be like a California rivalry, yeah. even like California is gonna be getting split into three states. The teams are gonna be separated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's gonna be a whole thing. Uh, yeah. 
The whole right. thing. Well, what are you guys been apart. watching? Uh, I'm gonna shout out Laura Camp's um, camper van conversion. I shouted out her tiny house when it was out. It was it was bomb, and now she's converting uh, like a van into a tiny house space, and uh, it's coming together really well. She put out a video this week, and it's it's classic Laura Camp style videos, but it's got some really cool, unique ways of incorporating storage into small spots. Yeah, did you see uh, she did the the new premiere thing yesterday? Oh, I don't know. Have you guys seen that? The whole YouTube premiere thing? No, I don't know what so that is. So it's basically you can, schedule, you can schedule a video and then people will know like, okay, uh, on, on Saturday at 8 a.m., Mike's new video is coming out. And when the video comes out, everybody will watch it at the same time and there'll be a chat window, kind of like a live. Really? Uh, yeah, kind of like a live stream would have. And so you would be there also and people could kind of ask you questions and then you could re- respond to them. Well, that's really cool because I've always subscribed to the just like put out a video when it's done. But Chris, you put out a video the same time every week, don't you? Uh, no, I, I mix it around. But, but I tend day, to usually. go like... I tend to go like Wednesdays and it's usually early in the morning, which would probably not be good for, I don't think six in the morning Pacific time would be good on a... It makes me think for like people like you or people like Dave Picciuto or Bob Claggett that are putting out like, they right. come out this time every week. That's a that's a really cool kind right. of interaction. No, I think it seems like something cool to try for sure. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this yep. episode. If you're not already, you should be following us on Instagram. That is at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Modern Maker Podcast as a collective. And I warned you, it's happening. Here it comes. Please give us a five-star review on the iTunes app. This lets them know that we're a good podcast and that they should be suggesting it to other people. Uh, we're out here. We're trying to climb the charts. You know, we're trying to get trying to get those numbers so anything you can do helps uh if not that then just you know tweet the show tell a friend tell your mom whatever it takes let's get some new ears on the show uh thank you guys for listening (laughs) i think i'm just gonna cut it off there have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time on the modern maker podcast bye everybody see ya bye